Today is Mark 13, 32 through 37. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It's like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at night, or when the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. This is the reading of God's word. You can be seated. Good morning, good morning, good morning. I am really excited to be here today. Um, It's going to be a good day. I want to give you probably too much information. I was drinking coffee, and I kind of got a little on the wrong side of the, you know, wrong tube. So as I'm up here, I'll try not to into the mic the whole time, because it's that ear. You know what I mean, that thing. It's, It's there, it's that thing, I'm sorry. That's what I'm working with this morning. So, uh, oh, I should set my alarm. You know what happens when a preacher looks at their watch? Absolutely nothing. I want to, um, well, if you want to get ahead of the game, you can go ahead and turn to Mark 13. We're going to be continuing in Mark today. Uh, I just want to say that John did an amazing job last week going through that passage. Uh, He had over 30 verses of eschatology to get through, and he finished it even after finance update. So, amazing job. Worthy of a round of applause, not to uplift his ego, but uh, there you go. I, yes, see, you still remain faithful to the text, which is great. I only have six verses, and I don't even know if I'm going to be able to get through everything I have today, um, but we'll see. Um, as always, I have the microphone and you have to listen to me. So, we'll see how this goes. Um, so, even with those six verses, we are going to pray that the Lord reveals to us uh, his truth this morning, though the passage is shorter. So, pray with me. We will ask for the Lord's blessing. Heavenly Father, God, we are, Lord, thankful that you have called us to be your people. Lord, we are thankful that you have given us your word Lord, I pray as we look into your word, God, that you would quicken our hearts and our spirit to be ready to obey. Lord, I pray that you would illuminate to our hearts and our minds the areas of our life in which we need to surrender more of ourselves to the Holy Spirit. Lord, that we might live lives worthy of the gospel until you come. Lord, thank you for this time. We pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Mark chapter 13. Uh, Starting verse 32. We're just going to go through a little bit this year. Not say a little bit. We're going to go through our passage this morning. We're going to skate over it first. Then we're going to go back. We're going to fill in a bunch of gaps. Because the passage that I have this morning is extremely dependent on the passage that came before. In fact, I can't even get to the heart and meat of this unless we go back and kind of catch up a couple of things, grab some principles before we get in there. So, 
But uh, I did want to address a couple of things before we get in there. So let's look at verse 32. Context again. This is in the middle, closer to the end of Jesus' sermon. This discussion, this discourse is called the Olivet Discourse. In your, in your Bibles, you may see that up there. This is towards the end of that. So these are Jesus' words. He says, But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. I wanted to stop there at that verse and kind of address something there. Because there, there's some folks who will, who will come to that verse and read that, and then all of a sudden, their Christological castle starts to fall apart because they say, oh my goodness, Jesus doesn't know something. What is this? It says here, it's concerning that day or the hour, which Jesus is talking about the end, when he returns, it says, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. People freak out about this. They make a big deal out of this. This, however, honestly, probably just harkens back to the idea that Jesus, as a man, doesn't know when this will be. If you were to go back to Luke chapter 2, verse 52, no one seems to have any problem with the verse that says, now Jesus grew in stature and in wisdom. How does Jesus grow in wisdom? It's because he was born as a baby. He wasn't born and then just, all of a sudden, just, man, it was hot in there. Mary, thank you for carrying me. I appreciate that. Greetings from heaven. Thank you ahead of time for my rearing. I appreciate it. I mean, he didn't come out fully, like, just talking. He had to learn. He had to grow. We have no problem with that, right? This is harkening back to that same idea. Jesus is a man. Right now, as he's preaching this, he does not have that knowledge. It is not as though he's given away that aspect of his godhood. He hasn't. He has laid it aside for a, a, a temporal time, for a purpose. What he's highlighting here is the fact that this is not something that you can put down on your calendar. I was talking with someone yesterday about the fact that it always feels like Resurrection Sunday is like a mystery. I have no idea when that thing is every year. It just sneaks up. I, you know, it's on the lunar calendar. I, when, is, when is Easter this year? I have no idea. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh my goodness, it was Ash Wednesday? Wow, look at that. I guess now you can, and it's, and it's like, oh, you never know when the Resurrection Sunday is going to happen. It's not quite like that. But for us, it's sort of like, we, we don't know. We can't put on a calendar and say, we know exactly when this will happen. And that shouldn't be a surprise because none of them, no generation of Israel could put on the calendar, this is when the first advent is going to be. Right? And so it's, it shouldn't surprise us. Look at that next verse there. Be on guard. Keep awake. This he actually repeats in this passage over and over. Stay awake. Be awake. Be on guard. Over and over. It's a very important thing. This, this, is, this is the application to grab from this. And we'll definitely spend a lot of time on that. And then Jesus gives a little parable on watchfulness and faithfulness. And then finally, Jesus again encourages them, stay awake. If you need to look for a verse to memorize, memorize verse 37. 
These verses are very dependent on the passage before. So we're going we're gonna to back up a little bit. And we're going to get deeper into this passage by catching ourselves up a little bit. So going back to the beginning of Mark 13. We're not going to go very in-depth. Just a couple of things. The first few verses. If we go back there to verse 1. Says, and he, as he came out of the temple, one of the disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what a wonderful, or said, What wonderful stones, what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Uh, last week, great emphasis was placed on the fact that he's not just talking about the building. He's talking about the system. And that, that's such an important point to get. And it also highlights something else for us. When we're dealing with prophecy, in prophecy, oftentimes there will be a near fulfillment and a far fulfillment. Both are in mind. Both are in focus. And that's actually really important to understand. Historically, in 70 AD, the temple was destroyed. But that didn't mean that the system was destroyed. In fact, if you spent some time... Looking into the history there, there's this the story of a Pharisee that was smuggled out of the city before the siege. And everything came crumbling down and lots of people died in the siege. And the thought was, Judaism's over. But that one Pharisee, according to legend, he, he systematized and built together this, this way of worshiping and using the synagogues and things like that. So even modern Judaism is essentially still part of that same system. It's a system that is, that is there that's in place. It's really important to, to, to note that Jesus not, he wasn't just talking about physical bricks. He's talking about this whole system there. And man, what a calamity that was. And I have to stop for a second and confess something. I love studying prophecy. I think it's so cool. It was the very first sort of independent Bible study that I ever did was on end times. 28 years ago, I started looking into and studying this stuff. I just find it fascinating. All different kinds of views and looking at all the different passages and all those different things. But I find it honestly kind of sad that these topics don't get talked about more. They're not brought up more. Clearly, very important to the New Testament writers. And we'll see how this idea and this concept of having the end in focus when Jesus will return is so important. It's so important. This, this account, this, this Olivet discourse is recorded in, all, in, in the three uh, synoptic gospels it's in Matthew, it's here in Mark, it's in Luke. Uh, and then you say, well, what's John doing? It's like, well, he wrote all of, all of Revelation, so we'll give him a break on, on that, because he obviously has that in view as well. <clears throat> and some of the passages that John includes, that aren't including the others, key into these same concepts and ideas. So it's, this is super important. I just don't think people realize how pivotal an understanding of eschatology or end times or the return of Jesus is to you living the Christian life. For many people, it's seen as a side 
conversation. It's not important. Let's focus on things that are really important. That, you cannot get that idea from Scripture. You just can't. In fact, I would say that that is one of the deceptions that is really hindering the body today. Is the lack of focus on the watchfulness of the return of Jesus. So you can ask, why? Why do people feel weird about studying this or looking into this? And I think there's, there's probably lots of different reasons, but I think the two, I'd say probably at the top. Number one is fear. You start reading through some of the prophetic stuff, and you know, if you guys read back through Mark 13 this past week, there's some scary things in there, right? Very, it's some weird things. If you start reading other parts of Scripture, it gets even weirder. Um, have you ever, this might sound like it doesn't relate, but it does. Just wait. Uh, have you ever watched or seen a car accident happen? How many? Let's see your hands up. How weird is that? It's weird, right? I was, uh, I was driving with my wife somewhere, and I highlighted, yeah, I saw an accident happen here, and I was just kind of rethinking through what happened. Car flipped and knocked over a, a hedge and a fence. You'd be like, wow, that was a really big accident. Flipped over, landed up upside down. There's something about seeing things that are normal in chaos. Like to see this wrought iron fence that normally is pretty strong, you know, and all of a sudden just get knocked over like toothpicks. It's unsettling. It's weird. It feels weird. Do you know what I mean? I can't describe it, but there's something weird that happens. You're like, oh, that's, that's not normal. That's very odd. And, it, and the feeling is, is, I don't like it. I go drive around looking for a car accident. I don't know how you'd go someplace and watch one happen. But seeking that out is just very weird. And it's sort of like any kind of chaotic thing where you see... Maybe an avalanche or an earthquake or something where something that was stable, all of a sudden it's in chaos. It's very unsettling. Do, am I alone in this? Are you feeling this? Can you get some nods or some amens so I don't feel so alone? And I really think that's the same thing for Scripture. So when it talks about things being overthrown, things breaking down, things being taken apart, it's, it feels weird. It's not the best feeling. And I get that, and I think fear is one of, those, one of those things. But I'll say, you know, fear of the unknown. How's that going to look? How's that going to feel? When is that going to happen? All sort of things. Fear of the unknown. A lot of times we deal with that by ignoring it. I'm just going to ignore that thing. I'm not even going to think about it. The truth is, is we combat that kind of ignorance with truth, not silence. You will never have a settled feeling with the things that we are told are going to happen unless we look at them, but look at them in light of Jesus and the plan. We will never have a settled feeling unless we see that. And if we ignore it, we will miss out, I think, on some of the things that are essential for walking in this Christian life. Okay. Next thing. I think the other thing is is that people get tripped up with the timing of things. So if we start to read something about end, like, like this, end times, or we get to Revelation, 
What's the question that normally comes up? People will ask, hey, we're not going to be here for that, right? We're not here for that. Depending on the stance, if you say, no, we're not going to be here, what do people do? Do you think they're fully engaged in that and they want to learn those things? Go see point one. This is scary. So what do you do? Click. Cool. I don't have to worry about that. I'm not going to be here. What that leads to, if you want to look at it and say, you know, hey, this has been, we've been waiting so long. There's no way that's going to happen in my lifetime. What that leads to, that actually leads us to apathy. It's to where we, we just ignore and we don't even think about any of those things. If you read, not just Mark 13, read Matthew 24 and 25, read Luke 21, there's no way, there's absolutely no way that you could read those passages and get out of that, I should be apathetic about this. What did we see in this, just these few verses right here, over and over? Stay awake. Be on guard. Stay awake. Stay awake. When we treat the end times as though something is to be ignored, we are directly disobeying what Jesus has told us. He said, stay awake. We would rather be lulled to sleep. We would rather create an environment where we feel comfortable not caring about what Jesus says you need to care about. So we got to be careful. It's literally the opposite point of this passage. So we have to be careful. Look at this. Okay, back to the temple. So, talk about the temple. Verses 3 through 31 is Jesus answering their initial question, what is it going to be like at the end? Jesus goes through and he tells them these things. Now, it's not anything you could just pin on the calendar. Boom, done. Got it. I was going to be funny and say a date, but I'm not going to. Somebody's going to clip that out. They're going to say, oh, date setting. Look at that. False prophet. Um, but what Jesus does is he tells them, these are the principles. These are the things you're going to see. Here are some markers to look for. It's sort of like instead of Jesus giving you an address and a map, he gives you landmarks. Look for the landmarks. There's always the joke when you're going out, way out into the boonies, and you ask someone for directions. They go, down, go down this road until the fence starts falling apart. And then right about that time where you hear a bunch of cows mooing, you take a right, right? And then you go down here. And those are the kind of directions we're getting here. These are things you, you should be looking for, right? And if you're awake, you can kind of start to see some of these things happen. And you see not just a sequence. It doesn't have to be necessarily a sequence. We see all these things start to come together here. I love the, the analogy that Jesus uses in this passage here um, where he calls the birth pangs. Fathers, hands up. All right. How many of you, when your wife says, I think it's time, were like, you're pregnant? I didn't know. I didn't know this was coming. It should be fairly evident for several months something might be happening. Should be coming here soon, right? It's, it's for us to say, oh, we just don't. We don't know. Birth pangs, there's a lot of things that lead up to birth pangs. 
we should know that we're getting kind of close here. He says that we're supposed to watch, we're supposed to be on guard. He doesn't indicate a specific time, but if you were to take these passages, Mark 13, Matthew 24 and 25, Luke 21, it's enough for Paul to be able to write a letter to Thessalonica to say, hey, I know you guys are all freaked out because there's such intense persecution, but remember, these things all have to happen first. So get it together, folks. I just paraphrase all of 1 Thessalonians. There's enough there for Paul to say, hey, let, remember these things. The disciples themselves knew that this was extremely, extremely important to pick up on. Peter, um, we talked about Matthew, we talked about Luke, we talked about John. Peter picks up on this a lot. If you've read 1st, 2nd Peter, you can see this. That he sees this idea, this concept of watchfulness, and it's actually kind of a through, it's, a, it's an idea that goes through his different writings here. And I can't help but feel like some of it is based on what happens in the next chapter. Mark 14, 38. It says, Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. This is Jesus telling his disciples, Watch, pray. Literally what we hear in the Gospel of Luke. Watch for the sake of your prayers. Did Peter stay awake? Kids, did Peter stay awake? No. No. It was a 50-50, but good job. You did it. Nailed it. I know you're listening. No, he didn't. He didn't stay awake. He had heard these teachings. He had heard these things. Even at the, at the, at the Last Supper, hearing the, the, the things that Jesus was teaching and what happened, the first opportunity to sit there, stay awake, Peter. Pray. He can't do it. He falls asleep. You can't blame him. They just had a full meal. It's late. They had three glasses of wine. They're walking. It's probably a really nice evening. They sat down. It's nice to stop. Of course you're going to fall asleep. But still, if they really, really were listening to Jesus and understood and could maybe had some sort of perception there to say, he's really anxious about something that's going on. I gotta, and then he says this to watch. and pray. I should be watching. They fell asleep. And of course, you know, they arrive, Peter jumps up, grabs a sword, cuts off a dude's ear, and Jesus is like, no, you don't get it. You're not listening, Peter. You're not listening. Stay awake. Open up. The parable that's given here in Mark 13, verse 34, says it's like a man going on a journey. When he leaves home, he puts the servants in charge, each with his work and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake. The parable, the very short parable, but the idea is, hey, the master's leaving. He's giving us tasks. We need to do those tasks as though he's actually going to come back. As though this is actually going to happen. He's not joking. And he says, you don't know when I'm going to show up. I'm not going to send a messenger beforehand to announce me, hey, on this day, I'm, 
going to show up. He's just going to show up. There's another story given. Matthew 25, there's another one. Hey, kiddos, are you doing your craft? How's it coming? Any, any of them done? Can I see the lights? Let's see them. Look at that. Oh, that one is really nice. It's really like well laid out there. Beautiful job. You nailed it. Look at these little lights. Well, <clears throat> the story given in Matthew 25 is the bridegroom is going to be showing up. So there's these 10 virgins who are supposed to be there to help him sit up. It's almost like the bridal party, right? Think of these. These are the bridesmaids, for lack of a better idea, right? And they're supposed to help. Five of them are wise, five of them are not. So in Matthew 25, it talks about the five that were wise said, well, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of the inner dialogue. Well, we don't know when this is going to happen. I better bring a lamp with some oil so we're ready. There were five that were foolish. They were unwise. What do you think they did? They did not any thinking. They didn't think about that. They didn't do any fore... I almost said they didn't do foreknowledge. What is... I'm falling apart up here. They didn't, they didn't think ahead. They didn't prepare. They did not bring any oil. It seems like they have lamps, but they didn't bring oil. Definitely foolish. They show up there, and when the time comes, they wake up frantically. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. The bridegroom's here. He said, Give us some of your oil. And the ones that were wise said, I, didn't, I don't have enough for you. If I give you some, we both will run out. You better go buy some. They go run around frantically trying to find some oil. We've got to find some oil. We've got to put it in the lamp. If only they had these ones with the little, like, battery switches, then we'd be fine, but it'd ruin the story, right? Because what ends up happening, they're stuck. They try to get in. They can't get in there. What it really comes down to then is the bridegroom's like, I don't know who you are. Preparation. Preparation is the point. How many people do you think it will start to come to the end and they'll say, how in the world were we supposed to know? How could we know that it was going to be so difficult? How could we know what we were supposed to do? And it's like, it, Jesus says right here how you're supposed to live, how you're supposed to act, what you're supposed to do. It says for you to stay awake, be on guard. So what does that mean? For, it means for us as believers, those who follow Jesus, that we have to live an eschatological kind of life. We need to have an eschatological worldview. We need to be watching for Jesus like he's actually really going to come. Like he's really going to be here. Like he really was serious. Like when he said things that they would really happen. We have to at least pretend that maybe Jesus knows what he's talking about. And has the power to bring it about. Maybe we just need to pretend that until we realize that that's actually the truth. Look at Second Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses, there it is. Uh, starting in verse 3, 3 and 4. Knowing this first of all. Hear that? First of all, you've got to hear this, people. So Peter says. For knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. And they'll say, 
Where is the promise of his coming? Ever since our fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. When we get towards the end, there's going to be a group, and these we would count, these would be the five virgins with no oil saying, it ain't going to happen. We've been waiting so long, it's not happening. Peter calls them scoffers. Scoffers who scoff. And that's what they are. They're false teachers. They're leading you away from being prepared. If you don't get this end times thing down, if you don't get this teaching down, it's likely that you are missing something in your Christian life. The Christian life is about action. It really is. Matthew 28, 19, we get the Great Commission. The Great Commission is, and I love it, it's, it's so evident in Greek, and it just kind of falls apart in English. But the idea is, as you're going, the default position for Christians is, we're going, we're moving. As you're going, wherever the Lord is deploying you, wherever you're going, Make disciples. The default position is a go, is a move. Ephesians chapter 5 has a lot of these elements as well. So Ephesians 5, you don't have to turn there, but chapter 5 verse 2 says that we're to walk in love. 5 verse 8, we're supposed to walk as children of the light. Chapter 5 verse 18, we're supposed to walk circumspectly. Write that down, word of the week circumspectly. We're supposed to be thoughtful about the way that we walk. But notice the trend. We're walking. Verse 16. Chapter 5, verse 16 says, making the best of the time because the days are evil. The days that we have, we don't have that many. Evil things happen in those days. So be walking, be moving, be, be active. Action. Hebrews chapter 12, it's talked about, it talks about running a race. We're supposed to run a race, be moving, action, get going, be on the move. Why? Because we don't know when the, when the master's coming back and we got to do the tasks that he's given us to do. We have to complete those things. Run, in fact, it says run with endurance. Continue to run. Keep running. Don't stop. It's a marathon, not a sprint. Keep going. Second Timothy. Second Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. Paul talking to his... He calls him his son. That close of a relationship. Writing to him, he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I've kept the faith. Again, action, moving, running, running with endurance, going. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, gives us the climate in which we're supposed to live this life. Verse 1 says, this is how the second, uh, oh, I was in Second Peter still. 
Aren't you glad that I figured that out in the first two words? Don't get me wrong. Any reading of Scripture is good. So we would have been edified anyway. 2 Timothy verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 1, it says, But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. All right, so can we just, can we just pause for a second? It's promised. It's going to be difficult. So don't be surprised. All of 1 Peter talks about suffering. He says, don't be surprised, because it's promised. But if you know ahead of time, you can prepare for it. You can be ready for it, right? Chapter 3, verse 1, But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents. Kids, did you hear that one? Disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control. Brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. And then we have the admonition, avoid such people. (laughs) Right on. (laughs) Just avoid them. Why? All of these actions, all of these attitudes, these will all be deterrents. These will all be stumbling blocks. These will keep you from fulfilling what we are supposed to fulfill, which is to go, to walk, to run, to move, get going. The time is short. Stay awake. Stay awake. Luke chapter 21 highlights, um, in verse 36, it highlights the fact that we're supposed to stay awake praying. Stay awake praying. That looks like exactly what Peter failed to do, right? We're supposed to have this prayerful attitude, this sober attitude. We see the things around us, and, and, and what you can kind of take from that is look, look around you and see the things that are happening. You know what? You can't change it. You can't change the fact that there will be difficult times. We're told to pray. We're told to prepare. We're told to pray because these times are really coming. And for many generations, they thought they were in the end times because it was just that difficult. There are people alive today who we would call brothers and sisters in the Lord who think this has to be the end because the suffering is so terrible. Hundreds of people killed in Nigeria last year just for being Christian, for no other reason, just for being Christians. Difficulties in China, difficulties in the Middle East. There are difficulties coming here too. This stream will probably get knocked off because I said China. I don't know if that's a fact. Could be. If it is, well, I'll just preach it again. But difficulties, trouble. So, how do you stay awake? What does that mean? What does it mean to stay awake? Maybe we, should all, maybe we should actually say, what does it mean to fall asleep? Christian, I'd say this. 
<laughs> if you trust in a government to help you through difficult times, you're asleep. And that's true about any government. I'm not being specific. I'm throwing a blanket on the whole thing. If you're trusting on an outside organization to take care of you, you're asleep. You are. If you think that some legislative bill is the mark of the beast, you're asleep. You're not paying attention. You don't get it. You really don't. If you think evangelism is a program that you can pick or choose to do or not, you're asleep. You are. Evangelism is our mandate. It's why we're still here. It's literally discussed as when the time of the bringing in of the Gentiles is done, then it's the end. Guess what that means? We have to actually preach the gospel. We have to share the gospel. We have to tell people the good news. It is the point of why we're here. I'll say something you probably won't hear in the discussion of end times, but stop making end times about the rapture and escaping suffering. Just stop. There's no way you can get that out of this passage, Matthew 24, 25, Luke 21, any part of Revelation, or any of the various places throughout Scripture where it talks about the end. There's no place for us to look for an escape. We are here. We have a job to do. Get going. Move. Walk. Run. Stay awake. Stay awake. Turn with me to Revelation 2. We're going to teach through all of Revelation. No, we're not. We'd start in chapter 1 if we were doing that. Revelation chapter 2. There's one other principle that is taught in this area of end time that I think is overlooked far, far, far too often, yet it is the most applicable point for us as believers. Revelation chapter 2 and 3. We should be spending so much time in these letters. These are directly letters from Jesus to churches. Giving critiques to churches, encouragements, warnings. We should, we should memorize these things. This is Jesus talking directly to churches and, kind of, and coaching them. What they should be doing, what they shouldn't be doing. We should take that to heart. If your Christology doesn't include this aspect, you're missing something. This is Jesus' connection, right, with us. And there is a consistent phrase to every single church, whether they are praised, whether they're warned... A consistent thing pops up. Revelation chapter 2, verse 7. Um, do, 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 do. It says here, He who has ear here, let me hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Ah, there it is. To the one who conquers. Chapter 2, verse 10 and 11. Don't fear about what, don't, I'm sorry, do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested for ten days, and you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I'll give you the crown of life. He who has ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers. 
the one who conquers. Chapter 2, verse 17, to the one who conquers. Verse 26, to the one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end. Chapter 3, verse 5, to the one who conquers. What's also interesting about this this one here, if you go a little bit earlier, verse 2, it says, wake up. Wake up again. Chapter 3, verse 12, to the one who conquers. Chapter 3, verse 21, to the one who conquers. The other phrase you can use there, to the overcomer, to the one who overcomes, to the one who endures to the end. Matthew 24, verse 13. says but the one who endures to the end will be saved Jesus directly connects this idea the overcomers the conquerors the ones who last the ones who make it the ones who endure to the end that's our challenge that's how we're supposed to live That's what we're supposed to do. The closer we get to the culmination of all things, the more we will see the bricks of the temple get dismantled. We will see the systems of this world be taken apart. And it'll be like looking at a car accident because we'll feel in our gut, this is wrong. This is bad. This is chaos. I don't like this feeling. But it's promised this will happen. I don't say it as a threat. Jesus gave it as a promise. This will happen. Why? So we could be prepared. Don't be discouraged. Stay awake. Be prepared. The promises that we get here, we are promised that we will suffer, but we are also promised life everlasting, the resurrection, and all those things. Jesus doesn't want us to be caught off guard. That is the point. The disciples looked at the temple and said, look at this amazing thing we have. And Jesus is like, hey, it's going to get taken apart. Okay, it's not going to be here. Do you think there was anyone alive at the time of Jesus who thought the Roman Empire would ever end? I don't think anyone fathomed like, hey, at some point, this whole empire is not going to be here. Do you think anyone thought that? There's no way. People like to think that the current status will continue. The promise we get from Jesus is that it won't. So what will we do? Refuge, we have to go. And as we're going, we need to walk. We need to run. We need to stay awake. Live the life that you were called to live. Endure to the end. And you will be rewarded. Father, these words can seem ominous, yet we know that it is a message coming from a loving Savior who cares for us, who wants, Lord, not just the best for his servants, for his friends, for his family, but he wants us, Lord, to be prepared. Lord, I pray we would never be found foolishly lacking what is necessary to accomplish what you have called us to do. I pray, Lord, that we would help each other, walk with each other, talk with each other. How 
do we continue? How do we walk? How do we run? How do we live this life? Lord, I pray that we would hold fast to the promises that you give, that we would look for your, to your scripture, Lord, for answers, for knowledge, for wisdom, Lord. And as we see the systems of this world get dismantled, Lord, I pray that we would not despair, but instead we would say, I am thankful that I was warned and I am prepared, Lord, that we might serve and care for others who were not. Lord, that we might be able to share the gospel with our lives, that others may know who you are by the quality in which we live our lives. Lord, that we might speak your word and it have its effect. Pray that we wouldn't be discouraged, Lord. Instead, we would look forward to a glorious, glorious promise. Pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.